Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Welcome, everyone, to the Kick Pregnancy Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And we're very excited. This is our first Q&A podcast episode. This is going to be good because people contact us yep. all, all, the t- all the time. It's fantastic. We love it. And there's a speak pipe where we can actually hear their own voice. Yeah. And we love listening to that because people say lovely things and, and that, that they've found the podcast useful and, and, and informative, which is fantastic. And today we're going to be talking back. Good. In a good way. <laughs> All right, Pat, I've, I'll uh, press play on our first caller. Hi, guys. Um, I wanted to ask a question about baby number two. Um, my daughter is currently nine months old and we have started trying for baby number two. Um My first labour was quite difficult. Um, She was induced at 39 weeks. Um, I had an epidural, which ended up being done three times because the first two failed. Um, And she was delivered um, with the help of suction and forceps. And I ended up getting a episiotomy and had third degree tearing. Um, the recovery's been really difficult, including um, some pelvic floor issues and um, anal fissures, and it's been quite hard. Um, and I just wanted to know whether I should go to a C-section for my next birth, whether I should expect the same thing if I had a um, vaginal birth, um, and if you guys had any advice for that. Thank you. Wow, Pat. Well, some people have a hard time wow. that day, that- poor thing. This is anonymous, by the way. She wants to remain anonymous. Of course, she, of course, she does. That is a very complex first birth. Yeah, well done for getting in touch. I, I think that that is really very, very complex, and I'm so sorry that that was your very complicated first birth experience. Mm, and and good on you for lining up for baby number two. Yeah, that 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 is fantastic. Yeah, that's very impressive. The odd person you. heads for the hills, and we just mm. never see them in obstetric land again mm. um, when when things are, are so complicated. Um, so. Thank you for getting in touch. What I want to steer clear from in general in our podcast and specifically today is is giving you direct one-to-one advice or telling you what to do, okay? And this isn't about that. This is about saying, firstly, well done for speaking up about about how the experiences that you've had. I hope you've had some joyful experiences and a, and a happy, healthy relationship with your baby. Whilst I, I think in our forum here we don't say, oh, you should definitely do this or you should definitely do that, I think that one thing I think you definitely should do is learn about what happened, uh, debrief with care providers if that's possible, and talk about 
learn about the 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 odds of those things happening again. Mm. You had a, a, you know a, a number of, of of less than perfect things happen in a row. You might do better uh, next time through through a sheer, a sheer turn of good luck. Yeah, yeah. like it, just even from having um, two failed epidurals, like how common is that? Extremely uncommon. Mm. That's right. Um, so um, the reason why this is such a good discussion point is that this happens all the time. People come and see us all the time saying, I had a very complicated first birth and do you think I'd be better off having a section? Occasionally the answer is yes. Mm. Uh, and occasionally occasionally the, 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 the considered answer is well, a lot of that stuff that happened to you is common with first babies and way less common with second babies and maybe, if you want to, it might be wiser to front up again for a vaginal birth again. One of the ones that can be the trickiest is third degree tear. Mm. Ongoing pelvic health issues. Yeah, yeah. I remember once talking to a colorectal surgeon who said, I think you, I think the anal sphincter's got one good tear in it. Mm. Okay, and that an expertly repaired tear happening once is you're likely to have good anorectal function for the rest of your life. Two, we could be in the ballpark of having ongoing problems that need that lead to further dysfunction or further surgery yeah so we might say well what are the real, what are the what are the chances that you're going to get another tear if you have another vaginal birth and whilst we can't calculate that with anything like precision we can look at the scenario and let's say for example we've got a petite woman with a six foot five partner and a 4.2 kilo baby at term where the woman experienced a a uh, third degree tear and she has uh, another baby at the same body weight with the same husband at his same body weight, then maybe we're a bit of a sitting duck for a second one. And this is not precise, but in those in that scenario we might say that look, no, let's um l- l- let's try to get around that by doing a cesarean section. On you know, on another day with, with other people where the where the tear seems to have happened in the absence of risk factors, maybe that person might say, Okay, fine, I'm prepared to give that another try. And should this caller be doing things like maybe seeing a pelvic health physio? Uh, you, she might be already, but like, does that help prepare for her second? I birth? think so. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, um, absolutely, um, pelvic um, physio. Um, getting some ad- some expert advice about the chances of these things really happening again. Working out what's in her heart. You know, if someone's considering having a, a, a another vaginal birth after a very complicated one like this. I think number one is you have to want to. If the person feels very, very strongly in their heart that they never want to have that have a baby that by that way again, then then that's a good argument in favour of a planned section. And you know, maybe maybe she also needs to learn about what a planned se- section's like. Well, absolutely. Mm. See, the issue in this whole discussion is that is not without its risks either, but they're often seen accurately, I think, as being manageable, controllable, knowaboutable, predictable. Yeah. Mm. And we also don't know why she had her baby induced at 39 weeks. We don't know what her her risk factors to begin with were, for example. Like that's, that's, no, that's, yeah, but that, but that's how that far you have to drill down into the issue before you would um, give some, uh, some specific advice. Mm. So it sounds to me like the, the, the situation needs uh, more details, and, but more, more, more discussion. Yeah, more discussion. All right. Good. I hope that helps, Anonymous, and all the best of luck uh, for baby number two. All right, we're going to move on to another caller. Hello, my name is Emily, and my wife is currently 27 weeks pregnant, and 
I would like to know more about the GBS swab. Um, I would love to know more about like pros and cons or risks or just, um, yeah, any extra information you can give would be lovely. Okay, for those who don't remember, GBS is Group B Streptococcus, which is a bacteria occasionally present in the vagina that can occasionally complicate the birth process. Just so everybody knows, we've done one episode on GBS swabs. Yep. yep. So that's episode 14, if you go back and have a little listen, which I did earlier. What is it? Pros and cons? Pros and cons. But I thought maybe we could talk about what's new, what, what we didn't talk about. Is there anything new in the GBS land or is there anything that you want to sort of just go, okay, if you if you want to know one thing about GBS, this is it? Yeah, I don't know about new, but I do th- – this comes up all, a lot. Mm. And I think one of the things that sometimes uh, circulates in the online space about GBS is that people are told – it doesn't improve outcomes or it, or it leads to excessive intervention. Yeah, a lot of people say, look, it's common anyway. It, isn't it like two, and, two out of four women have GBS normally in their vagina? It's about 20%, one in five. 20%, oh, one in five. Yeah, so the problem is uh, it's not an infection. It belongs in the vagina. It's, it's, it's uh, allowed to be there. But um, if a baby's born with a severe infection in the early days, meningitis, encephalitis, sepsis, it, it, it could well be... GBS acquired from the mother's vagina. The idea of, of treating with antibiotics in labour is often not the contentious bit. Um, if people are happy to have some antibiotics in labour most commonly, that's not the bit that people are troubled by. I think people are commonly troubled by the idea that if, if their waters break at term and the labour doesn't come straight away, we would normally wait up to 24 hours for that labour to come in someone who was GBS negative. But in somebody who was GBS positive we'd prefer to get on with it. Mm. To shorten the time between the waters breaking and the baby arriving, to shorten the exposure of the baby to the GBS in the, in the maternal vagina. And that's the bit that people don't like. Yeah. Uh, because it can, via that mechanism, lead to, to higher uses of syntocinal infusions, which can occasionally lead to more of this and more of that and more of this. Mm. And I think in that space, it's a bit confusing because not all countries have the same sort of um, GBS policy. Absolutely. So yep. it's, this is it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's routine here in Australia. I, I learned Spain, Germany, France, US, but not the UK. Yeah. 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 So not everybody's as impressed or by the data or has this as a priority in their care. Yeah. I did read, though, that um, the UK, they're trying to get a study up to see if it should be routinely offered. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, who yeah. knows? Watch this space. Personally, I think that this is an that this is a an, an intervention that does pay off because GBS sepsis in newborns is rare but really serious mm. and hard to detect in its initial stages. So like a lot of, it's a bit like the vaccination argument. It, we've got to train an awful lot of people to save one baby, but in my view that intervention is worth it. It has a place. It does. Yeah. Good. Well, let's go on to caller number three. Hi, my name is Lucy. I'm pregnant with my second son and I'm about 22 weeks. I'd like to know more about Vasa Previa, if possible. I had it with my first son and I'd just like to make sure that there are more people out there that know what it is, but also get some understanding about whether it can occur again. All right, Pat, I have absolutely no idea what that is. <laughs> okay. So, vasoprevia is a rare but serious obstetric complication where blood vessels are essentially connecting mother to baby 
run across the top of the cervix and they're not protected by the they're not inside the placenta or inside the cord. Wow. And uh, there's a couple of different types that the, the types aren't so important, but the um, the, the danger, of course, is that those vessels um, uh, could rupture and uh, the bleeding can be very profuse and very serious. And is that only sort of detected during labour? No, no, uh, on, uh, on antenatal ultrasound. At what sort of week would someone find out they've got that? You can usually it can usually be seen if it's there on an expertly conducted mid trimester ultrasound, so the the twenty week one, right? And uh, if it's um, if it's known about, we can we can be super careful with that uh, patient. Make sure they're being cared for in an appropriate uh, centre of um, obstetric expertise. And that there's a plan for that woman to get to care quickly if uh, if she's bleeding. And can she still have a vaginal birth or is that a caesarean? No, not if the vessel goes right across the top. No. no. So that's a caesar situation. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm guessing our uh, our caller uh, had a, a, a section because that was known about. And then she asks about about uh, happening again. Well, you'd be unlucky. It's a rare thing and right. to get the same unusual abnormal anatomy to the to the um, vessels would be would be quite rare. What someone who's had a previous phase of previous probably wants is a is a scan done uh, halfway through the pregnancy by a uh, an expert obstetric scanner yeah. who can have a super-duper close look and make sure we don't have it again. Well, she said she's 22 weeks, so perhaps she already knows. I hope so. Well, yeah. it, it's, it actually sounds like she doesn't know yet, so maybe she needs to um, ask those questions. Those of questions, her. Yeah. yeah. And maybe she needs to be rescanned later in the, in the pregnancy, um, but we just want to make super sure that that, 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 that same thing hasn't she hasn't had the, the shock and luck of that same thing happening again yeah yeah all right good luck lucy let's go to caller number four hi my name's sophia i have one baby at home and we're just trying for our second at the moment my question is could you go through those early stages of newborn life i think that was the thing that threw me a loop the most i prepped and knew everything about pregnancy and it was all really obvious <laughs> but when we got to the first few weeks of babydom, I had no idea what I was doing. It felt like the hospitals didn't provide a lot of information um, and I just felt really lost about how much my baby should be eating, what development they'll go through, even just in the first week, um, let alone the first month um, to six weeks. Yeah, any information on, you know, what that looks like in an average baby would be great. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast... Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. 
Thanks. What a great call. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love hearing the little baby in the background. That was, yeah, that was, that was very bit. cute. Yeah. yeah. But what a great thing to contact us about um, because we spend an awful lot of time planning for the birth. Like yeah. like it's like I mean, it's, it's, one, it's one day. Yeah. It's a big day. It's a big day and yeah. you want it to go right and you yeah. want to be prepared and I get it. Yeah. yeah. But you can have that baby for a lot longer than that. Well, forever. <laughs> <laughs> We've had our oldest move out of home and it's, he's still a, one of our babies, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, even though I've had four and you've had four and two babies, um, it's very tricky to give people that sort of advice. This is not... This is this is outside of our realm of expertise. I can give you advice like a mama can give advice and we can definitely talk about the first few days in hospital and I think that that would be a really good podcast episode so that it's it's all its own podcast episode. Sure. Um but there's lots of people that I think we could re- recommend you to. So our friend uh, Jen Butler, who's actually on our Grow My Baby program, she runs a really good newborn and baby education program online. Yeah, that, um, I think that's really good and kind of takes over from where we leave off sort of because, yeah, you, you know, you're quite right. They don't come with an instruction book. Yeah. So I think hers, her program zero to four months and she'll go through things like her baby uh, development milestones and what to expect with sleeping and, and feeding and all the rest. And what's the one that you listen to from the US? Oh, I like her too. Um, Taking Cara Babies. Nice. Her name is Cara. You know. That's why I'm saying Cara Babies. So, Cara Babies. <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, no, that's She's it. really good. Yeah. And if you happen to be in Ballarat, we actually have at our Ballarat Women's Health Clinic, um, we have got Jacinda Saunders, who's a perinatal support consultant. So, yeah, she'd, she'd take you through you know, yeah, how, yeah. how to prepare to be a parent. And she's fantastic for people who look a bit deer in the headlights when they... When Everybody they, looks like deer in the headlights. Yeah. Like, you know, who, who's who got that nailed? <laughs> well, the first time is nobody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're not alone, Sophie. Um, but I did want to say also, like, trust yourself. You've had one. You have got a whole big chunk of learning yeah. that that one has brought you. We can hear that baby laughing in the background, so yeah. you must be doing it, most things perfectly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good luck um, trying for number two. Have we got time to fit one more in, Pat? One more question. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. All right. Let's hear from Jen. Hey there. My name is Jen. I am 34 weeks pregnant um, and we have actually listened to your podcast for a really long time um, and found of all the pregnancy podcasts that it has been the most amazing. We used it last year as well um, while we were trying to get pregnant and then we had a miscarriage and you had a podcast on that as well, which was great. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and you guys are awesome uh, for having all of that information, that support. So thanks for that. Um, so now we are due in six weeks, which is terrifying. But I think a big thing that I've struggled with getting information about during my pregnancy that was really overwhelming when I found out um, is being pregnant and having a history with DVTs and being told you have to be on blood thinners for your whole pregnancy and not fully understanding what the implications of that are. Things like um, how it affects labor, how it affects your pain options, how it affects, um, yeah, just daily life as a pregnant woman and what you can or can't do. And uh, getting told that I wouldn't be able to have an epidural within 12 hours of taking blood thinners or if I have to have an emergency caesarean within 12 hours of taking my blood thinners as well, that it's, I would have a general anesthetic, that kind of thing. Anyway, thanks a lot. You guys are doing an awesome job. Cheers. 
Hmm. Well, another good question. Yeah, well done, Jen. And gosh, you know, six weeks to go. It's pressure's on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all the uh, kind things you said about the podcast. That's awesome. Uh, this is a yeah. This is another big one. So, over my obstetric career, I think we've seen a, a, a growth in the indications for anticoagulation in pregnancy. And it was something I remember when I first started. Pretty unusual thing to do. And now there's just there's more and more evidence suggesting that more and more conditions probably need anticoagulation, uh, either before, certainly immediately after, and sometimes for six weeks or longer after. And the more they look into it, the more they the more they identify groups that that, that could potentially benefit from that. The tricky bit, of course, is that uh, it's, it's not so much going on the anticoagulation. We, you know, in Australia, we use Clexane, a little a little injection that's already been drawn up, and you you get fifty little injections. Uh, they look like a little diabetic needle. Put them in up to the hilt, push a button, done. As people get used to giving them themselves very, very quickly. But you don't want your blood to be too runny uh, at the time of the birth. We need a plan to m- minimise the chance that we would come into labour uh, minutes or hours after having given the anticoagulant dose. They, grow, they, they wear off pretty fast. So if you, if you have one yesterday, it's fine. Your blood will have reached normal clotability again. And then coming to labour, if you need an epidural, we want the blood to be nice and clotty so that we don't get any blood clots around the spinal cord from the epidural. And if we're doing, if we're going to do a cesarean section uh, again, uh, we want the blood to clot normally so that a spinal anaesthetic can go in your back so we can be awake for the season, and also so we don't bleed too much from the operation itself. So, so we don't have people coming sort of uh, having the just having their injection at thirty nine weeks and three days and breaking their waters two hours later and coming into labour. We'll often pick a day uh, for induction, and say, so right here, you have the last Clexane injection the day before, and then we know on that day. That you that it's been twenty four hours since your Clexane dose. We're good to go. Let's get let's let's go now while the going's good. And then she can have her epidural if she wants one. Yeah. She could if she needed an emergency cesarean. It's not a stressful situation. She yeah. wouldn't have a general anaesthetic. Exactly. Blood's, yep. blood's returned to normal clotability and everything's as per normal. Yeah. But the downside is the is the induction. Yeah. Uh, it's nicer when the it's not your first baby because we would expect the induction to work. If it is your first baby and the cervix isn't that favourable, then we might have to weigh up the risk of uh, an induction that doesn't work versus the risk of, of coming to labour while anticoagulated. And you mentioned 39 weeks and three days. Like, could somebody, could you be checking whether their cervix is favourable before you make that induction date? Absolutely, we do that. We check for favourability. But the longer we leave it, the more lucky I get labour. Mm. Yeah. So there has to be a, uh, there has to be a, a compromise um, of saying, right, yeah, baby's mature enough. Let's go for it while we can control control the anticoagulation still. Yeah. And what, you know, probably the answer is they'll get a DVT, but what, what about if in the last week or something they just don't take their Clexane? That's another option, but it could be a risky one for somebody who had a really strong indication to be anticoagulated. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Is it a question she could ask though? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's say, for example, it was a relatively, not trivial, but a relatively low end indication. You might say, fine, um, I'll just, I'll stop it at the end. Not something we common do, commonly do because we usually get away with the induction option. Mm. Um, but let's say she was on the pill in her 20s and that 
is the primary cause of, I'm just guessing, you know, that might have been a primary cause of her getting a DVT, but she's not on that That's now. an excellent question. It depends on the circumstances of the original DVT, for sure. Mm. So, for example, if somebody had a DVT because they broke their leg and was on the pill yeah. and spent six weeks in a cast and got a DVT, and none of those things were happening now, I wouldn't be too worried about that person. But if someone had a known um, a genetic variation in their blood clotting system, which they've still got, then and, and and had a history of a spontaneous DVT or a DVT in a previous pregnancy, then I'd be much more worried about them. Yeah. So how does one manage a spontaneous labour? She's just taken a clexane or whatever and then realised that she's started to contract. Into the hospital, into discussions with the obstetricians, haematologists and work out the best and safest plan. Mm. Moving forward... However, it's been uh, established, the baby's out. We, we tend to start the anticoagulation up again straight away. And uh, the anaesthetists are usually happy for the for anticoagulation to be given six hours or so afterwards. Um, so um, certainly if we're doing a planned section in the morning, we'd, we'd give the Klexan again that evening. Yeah, you're right. And then each of the various indications for um, anticoagulation comes with a set of local guidelines as to how long that woman should be anticoagulated for after the birth. So uh, some of the very clot-inducing genetic variations in clotting systems might need six weeks or more, and uh, some um, are um, just the length of the hospital stay. Yeah, well, All right, Jan, I hope yours is just the length of the hospital stay. <laughs> Best of luck. Uh, I hope the next six weeks goes very smoothly for you. Good luck. Thanks for calling in. All right, Pat, I think uh, we'll leave it at that. I think this is great fun. I think this is fantastic to hear people's real, real voices. Good. All right, well, next week we'll be back back to a normal programming. Uh, we'll finish off with our myth or fact and uh, all will be as per usual. Okay. However, we do want to bring these Q&As in. So if you want to have your question um, posed on our podcast, And you're please, happy to use your real voice. You, real voice. You that's can, gold. You can say it's anonymous. That's all good. Um, please uh, go to our website, which is www.growmybaby.com.au. And in the podcast section, there's a link to the speak pipe. And uh, thank you for listening today. Good on you, everybody. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.